Well, thank you for joining us. Hi, my name is Jamie Reynolds, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And I struggle with, uh, this was hard to admit, but it's pride and abandonment issues. And I'm probably a little short fused at times. One of our forever family friends from CR uh, said, I didn't even know you had a story. I, when I told him, I said, look it, everybody has a story, and here's mine. I was born into a family who had major issues right from the start. My mom struggled with intellectual challenges. She had a grade four education. She was abused by her father and again by her husband. He would sell my mom to other men for booze. I was four years old when my mom had enough of him and called the police and had him taken away. As a child, I didn't understand all this, and I never saw him again as a child. And I believe it has affected me my whole life. After he was gone, we lived on welfare, and there was never enough food, heat, or clothing. Because of mom's inability to manage the household, we would have food for it would only last about two weeks of the month. The other two weeks, we lived on potatoes and whatever else was left. I would even peel one and eat it for a snack. We had an outside toilet and were often carrying water uh, from the lake because we needed to prime our pump. And we wouldn't have had a Christmas if it wasn't for the empty stocking fund. And there were neighbors who would invite me in for a meal and another neighbor would occasionally fill our oil tank. I really hated being poor, the poorest kid on the street and without a father. Three years later, my mom met a man named Reggie, who became my stepfather. Things were really good for me then, because he worked, he provided for us, well for us. Uh, we had food on the table at every meal. He would teach us table manners. <laughs> we didn't even know that there was such a thing. I think we were just like a bunch of animals, really. But I felt really safe, and I loved having a father around. I remember these men would try to come to, the, to our house on the weekend for another party. And Reggie, he was a war veteran, would grab his gun and chase them away. And I remember me, <laughs> he was standing there, and I seen the car coming, and he had the gun like this, and I was right by his leg, and I was just holding on to him, and I was like... Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So, oh, one year later, as luck would have it, he died after inhaling poisonous fumes from a fire aboard the Canadian Navy ship aircraft carrier HMCS Bonaventure. That was in for its annual refit at the St. John Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company Limited. I was devastated to lose another father. This left us poor and back on welfare with men knocking on my door again. I remember my mom taking an ax to chase them away, and I believe she was taken advantage of because of her mental and emotional state. There's no doubt in my mind that our mom, my mom loved us. She loved us, I know. With her limited abilities, uh, she even managed to chase the social services away. One time, they tried to intervene and take us I remember her saying to the lady, you're not taking my kids. Get the bleep, bleep, bleep out of here. And uh, I also have a memory of, of laying on a cot on, on the edge of my bed here, and, and I was uh, 
and there was a curtain between me and the kitchen, and I felt really afraid because there was men in the house, there was parting there, and a lot of booze, and I was laying there, and it's a little hard to describe, but I saw a semi-transparent, and I believe it was an angel, at the end of my bed. I didn't know what I was seeing, but a perfect peace and comfort just came over me. I felt it was like it was okay, and I was being protected. I have never forgotten that image, and I know that God was watching over me that night. In Matthew 18.10, it says, See that you do not despise or think less of one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually look upon the face of my Father who was in heaven. Another comforting memory was my mom. And uh, she would just hold me. I remember her holding me like this, and, and she would pat my head. Now, I know I had hair that time, but she used to pat my head. But it, putting that hand on my head, it just felt a warmth, and I felt loved. And I, this comfort carried me all through my life. Actually, I, I, my own kids, when they were just babies, I used to I come home for work. I laid on, chest, on the Chesterfield, and I would hold them, and I would just pat their head like this all the time. And then and when they get older, I would still pat their head. When they went to bed, tucked them in at nighttime, I would pat their head, and, said, and I told them I loved them. And I just brought me so much comfort at that time, and I just I carried that. Even now, my grandchildren, I'm still doing it. So it's, I thank my mom for that. I just, that time, it just felt, I felt loved. So... Um, Uh, where am I at now, James? Not long after this, I'm, that's right, social services came and condemned our home because my mom was ch- chopping the partitions and walls up for firewood, which caused our roof to say again. And from there, um, they come in, condemned it. We had to move out, and we went to the government funding staff houses on Bayside Drive, which was ridden with bed bugs and rats. A year later, in, in 1966, January, we were, were able to rent a house in Lakewood. Still had no running water and an outside toilet. The next year, in May 1967, my mom had a nervous breakdown to let our family be separated. She was taken to the provincial hospital, which later became Centricare, care, and we never lived with our mom after that. And she moved from the hospital to several special care homes, and finally a nursing home until she passed away in April 2017. After my mom was taken to the hospital, the neighbors got together and they felt that they should divide younger kids up and keep them in the neighborhood so they could finish our school year as there was only a month left. I was almost 11 years old and my siblings all got placed in homes. My brother Dave went to another good family just up the road from me, Dorothy and Emerson, were right across with another large family. My oldest sibling, Rita, had moved out before the family breakup in 1965 when she was 15 years old. And we didn't see her again until she came home for a visit when I was 17. Ronnie and Donnie Baxter were, were friends of mine, so I was, taken, I was taken in by their parents, Lynn and Myrtle Baxter, who had eight kids of their own, with six of them still living home in a house approximately about 1,000 square feet but we had running water, inside toilet, and a bathtub. Imagine that. 
I thought I was finally rich, or so I thought. But there was always lots of food on the table. I was always told when I first came that I, I guarded my plate with like this, and all the food, the bread, and I was like this, and just, just shoveling it down. And, and uh, Mr. Backer would say, slow down. There's more food where that came from. <laughs> oh, I, uh, oh, this arrangement was supposed to only last until the end of the school year, and, um, but there was never mentioned that I was going anywhere. Len Baxter was the father that I longed for. I remember the day he arrived home with a bicycle for me on top of his oil truck. He accepted me as his own son and would proudly introduce me to anyone who came to the house. I clearly remember him saying more than once, this is my son, Jamie. Oh, <laughs> That just melted me. And another thing was when he would come home in the oil truck, I would run and say, Dad, Dad. I just, just couldn't wait. I was treated the same as the rest of the kids. He was with me at a father and son banquet with my brothers Ronnie and Donnie when I earned the Scout of the Year Award in 1969. And I still have that trophy. So it means a lot to me. Just a year later, on Christmas Eve, 1970, my dad Lynn Baxter died of cancer. I only had him for three years. I can't even tell you how devastated it was for me. My family tell me that I took it harder than anybody else in the family. I was only 14 years old, and I lost my third father. My mom, Myrtle Baxter, was a saint. She raised the rest of us boys with the help of her older children, who were now married, until we were grown. I realize now that was not an easy job. Oh, how I loved her. Mom died in May 2013. I've always felt blessed with having two families. To this day, I am loved and accepted included the siblings of my Baxter family. And I credit my brother Dave for keeping our Reynolds family together. <clears throat> Dave and his wife Jean were a young married couple and we would make sure at least once a month he would have us all over, including mom when she was well enough, over for a meal to keep our family together. Otherwise, I'm sure we would have lost touch. When I was on the welfare system, I would receive clothing and dental allowance, and it has stayed in my mind how much I hated this because I felt singled out when I would shop with my welfare check. Uh, the clerk at Wokel, if anyone remembers that, would wave the check in the air and say, welfare check, and then waiting for a supervisor to come and prove it. I would just cringe and was tempted to run. When I went to a dentist one time, I, was, I might be the first one to arrive, but would be the last to be seen, because I, I was a welfare patient. I hated this, and I vowed I would never be poor and to have to be on welfare. I got my first job at 16 at a service station, along with my two brothers, Ronnie and Donnie, and I saved about 90% of my pay to buy a car, which I, sh I got shortly after. I was really proud because all three of us managed to save for cars while we were still teenagers and without a dad to help. I met 
what would become the love of my life when I was 17 years old, can you imagine, at Simons High School? We both knew very quickly that we wanted to spend our life together. We were best friends and couldn't stand being apart. And basically, we still can't. We were married two years later at 19, and I still adore her. She was a little different, though. <laughs> she went to church twice on Sunday, and then there was a youth group on Friday night. I thought it was a little strange. I thought, well, she's religious. Her dad, Charlie McDougall, would talk to me about Jesus and how he died on the cross for my sins and extended grace to me by forgiving me if I put my trust in him and in him alone. He said that it was a free gift, but it was up to me whether I accepted it by faith. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, then he said, Jamie, you can put your name in there. Believe in me, have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I, at that time, I knew I was a sinner. It was quite obvious. And I knew that not of works, that means that's something that I earn. And, I, and then Romans three twenty three says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Charity also told me a story that stuck in my mind. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? There was a tightrope walker named Charles Blondin who walked 160 feet above the Niagara Falls several times back and forth between Canada and the United States. As huge crowds on both sides looked on with shock and awe, once he crossed in a sack, once on stilts, another time on a bicycle, and he once even carried a stove and cooked an omelet. One day, after pushing a wheelbarrow blindfolded, it is said that he asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? Of course, the crowd said, yes. And uh, they shouted and cheered. They believed he could do it. He then asked for a volunteer to get in. The crowd grew very quiet. One man came forward and got in the wheelbarrow. There is a difference between the crowd and the man in the wheelbarrow, he asked. Which one had the faith? In regards to God, where are you? In the crowd or in the wheelbarrow? This is what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I accepted Jesus my Savior on May 27, 1974, at 18 years old, and a peace came right over me. I've always loved that verse in Romans 5.1. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I really didn't grow as a believer until we had our son, Jeffrey. I had come home from work one day when he was no more than two years old. I left my lunch can and a hard hat at the door. When I went to get cleaned up, when I came back out, he had my hand, hand hard hat on, he had a lunch can in his hand, and he was wearing my work boots. <laughs> it made a lasting impression on me. I could still visualize him. I got to thinking, he's walking in my footsteps. And I'm thinking, what kind of example am I leading? I'd been feeling convicted of some of the choices I was making anyway, and that day I surrendered my life to Jesus, 
and I want my life to count for him. I'm not saying I was perfect, but my desire was to please him with my life. I started to teach a, a grade four Sunday school class. So through studying the Bible and teaching the class, I really started to grow in my faith. From there, fast forward, I've been involved with youth group, college career, visitation, being a deacon at our church. Those were wonderful times, growing to love Jesus more and having a passion for souls. Things were really going well for us. I chose electrical trade for my life's work. I went to St. John Community College and completed a one-year course, graduated, and right away got a full-time job. We bought our first home, our first house, four years later at the age of 24. This was quite significant for me because one, one day when in my son's room, I just laid on his bed, and I just, tears just started flowing from my face. And I, said, and I just remember when I was his age, I would sleep with my brother and sister on the same bed frame, and we only had cardboard on top of the springs because of the mattress, as you know. <laughs> it was so cold in that house, we wet the bed so that we had to toss that out. When I was in my 30s, I had a rude awakening who I really was. <laughs> I was driving one day in my old neighborhood where I lived, where mom was chopping her house up for firewood. The house was long gone, but I stopped at the neighbor's house, one that used to feed me occasionally, who remembered me. I won't go into a lot of details, but I found out that day that the person I thought was my father wasn't. <laughs> Wow, I had no idea. And I also found out who my biological father was. So, do the math. Now four, four fathers have either left, died, or rejected me. Ever since I learned that, I thought I was a mistake. He never, my biological father never acknowledged me that I was his son. So ever since that, I thought I was a mistake until one day, almost 20 years later, while I was relaxing at our camp, I picked up a book by Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life. I found out that I wasn't a mistake. Isaiah 44, 2a says, I am your creator. You were in my care before you were born. Rick wrote, while there are illegitimate parents, there are no illegitimate children. Many children are unplanned by their parents but they're not unplanned by God. God's purpose took into account human error and even sin. He said, long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. As I read that, tears started flowing. I'm not a mistake. And either or any of you. Janice and I have been blessed with three wonderful children, Jeffrey, Julie, and Jacqueline. We had it all wonderful, loving marriage, three kids who had all accepted Jesus as their Savior. Jeffrey went to Bible school. All three of our kids worked at Living Waters Campground on the summer for a few, few years as teenagers. My business was doing well, and I can remember one Sunday looking across the pew and see my wife and the three kids, all their mates involved in ministry. I was so proud. Janice also remembers me doing the devotionals at a church around the same time saying how proud I was of my family. Well, you know what the Bible says about pride. Proverbs 16, 8. Pride goeth before destruction, 
and a haughty spirit before the fall. Well, <laughs> did my pride fall. Within six weeks of Julie's marriage to Adam in June 2001, our perfect life blew up in her face. She called us frankly in the middle of the night, screaming that there was something wrong with Adam. We were there within minutes. The paramedics came, and they realized he had overdosed on something. They were yelling at Julie, questioning, what has he taken? And as her dad, I, I was broken to see her standing there dumbfounded and hurt with the question they were asking her because she had no idea he had, she, what he was taking. And I don't think they even believed her. This had rocked our world. Little do we know that this would be a 14-year struggle for them. But as we all know, God had a plan for their life, and he would eventually use their experience to bring them a closer relationship with Jesus and help others do the same by starting this group, Celebrate Recovery. Yay! <laughs> I can hear you all cheering right now. In November 2009, our second daughter, Jacqueline, was on a downward spiral, which ended her marriage abruptly. The shame and embarrassment from that breakup because of her intertwined relationships with friends and family added to the complex explosion of her entire life. This kind of, you kind of stand back and say, just what happened here? And try to protect yourselves from the ones love, that you love from the damage from the shrapnel. This 10-year journey was a roller coaster of continuous events, including drug addiction, self-harm, bad relationships, a second failed marriage, suicide attempts, emergency room visits, psych ward admissions, and one of these events <laughs> led me to have to pin her down on my kitchen floor to keep her safe until help arrived. She was in an extremely bad state that just ripped my heart out. Jacqueline, my baby, was being unrecognizable. Unknown, unknown to us at this time, Jacqueline had underlying problems with her health. She was diagnosed with a significant thyroid disorder called Graves' disease. This disorder was one of the many things that contributed to the continuing poor life choices and on the ongoing spiral. Through all of this, we received a blessing and a burden at the same time. Jacqueline had two boys, Cain and Mason, and it was obvious that she couldn't look after them for a time. Honestly, at first we didn't see it as a blessing. <laughs> but we sure do now. We were in our early 50s, we were empty nesters, and all of a sudden we became parents of two babies. Oh my word. We were running business, and we had five other grandchildren that we wanted to be grandparents to. And we were involved many times keeping our daughter alive to see another day. It's still exhausting just even to think about that. Mason's dad and his family stepped up to the plate and took Mason, which was an answer to prayer because Janice was at her wit's end. As you can imagine, this was not, e not easy to talk about, even though you knew everybody knew. There was a lot of shame involved for us because we're Jacqueline's parents, and we loved her, but we also loved many of those who were affected. We had support from a few people, but we felt like our family was grieving and fighting this battle alone. I'm pleased to say that Jacqueline got recovery at CR, and she now lives across the street from us, which was another huge blessing. Mason shares time with his mom and dad now. 
Cain continues to live with us, which is his choice, but he loves running back to forth to see mommy and have a sleepover anytime he wants. She's also in a loving marriage to Edward Arsenal, who she met at CR. We are so thankful for him, and he's a great stepdad to her two boys. During this 10-year battle, in my already broken and wounded state, I experienced some hurt. I felt rejected in my church. I like the statement for Christian marriage encounter, that feelings are neither right nor wrong, they just are. These feelings of rejection brought back abandonment issues. There have been leadership changes that caused some issues with me and others in my ministry there. Because of the state I was already in with Jacqueline, I was vulnerable and I was worn down. The problems in my church left me feeling alone. I didn't feel I fit anywhere. I lost my joy. Friends and family started noticing that I wasn't the same person. My kids were often saying, what's wrong with dad? I got a call from one day from Julie. She was quite excited. She and Adam were starting Celebrate Recovery at King's Church, and she needed all the family she could to help run this ministry. Adam had been introduced to this ministry when a former pastor had invited him to come to Ontario to take some time out and help him with his life-changing addiction. This is where Adam's recovery started. Julie thought it would be good for me to be involved because this would be right up my alley. I love serving. I love people, and of course, I love my Julie. And it wasn't long before the joy came back rushing in. Just hearing the testimonies and seeing the love of these broken people had for Jesus and how he changed their lives gave me compassion and love for them. Even my sweet Annie had her hands in the air and surrender from all the change that she's been wrapped in. This confirmed that God was leading me to my place in this ministry. What I didn't know was it wasn't just a place for me to serve. It was a ministry I needed for my own personal hurts and some change that I needed freedom from. Because what I learned at CR, I can honestly say, I'm able to forgive. I was healed from my hurts, my pride, my abandonment issues because of Jesus. My challenge, all to you who are listening, most importantly, you need to accept Jesus as Savior to surrender your will to Him. Find a CR group. You need community. You were never meant to do this alone. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Acknowledge your hurts and habits and hang-ups and your response to them. Find a way to serve Him and others. This is how you can live the abundant life Jesus offers you. Thank you for listening to my story.